At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. The last three years have been tough on Canadian entrepreneurs. That's why we are so excited to announce the 2023 Startup Canada Tour, a five-stop national opportunity to connect entrepreneurs across Canada. Join us for keynotes, panels, and practical workshops, an exhibitor zone featuring Canada's support organizations, speed mentoring in our Ask the Expert lounge, and an opportunity to compete in on-site pop-up pitches. We will be in Whitehorse on April 25th, Halifax on May 2nd, Vancouver on May 11th, Calgary on September 28th, and stay tuned for details on our final stop in Ontario. Want a free pass? Use code PODCAST at checkout. Learn more and get tickets now for the closest stop near you at startupcanadatour.ca. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Jeff Mitchell of Kitchener, Ontario's Makers Collective. Jeff has enjoyed a winding pathway through the gig and creator economies. A former English teacher, Jeff dove into entrepreneurship in 2012 and he hasn't looked back. Early in his journey, he started an education technology company, led innovation training at various Canadian innovation centres and conducted freelance curriculum development for a range of post-secondary institutions. Today, Jeff has a portfolio of work that includes being a freelance innovation coach and consultant for big brands, co-owning Lane 2 Learning, where he builds and launches courses for large organizations such as Canon Canada, and he's a co-owner of the Makers Collective. With the Makers Collective, Jeff has become a thought leader in the future of work, side hustling, and the gig economy, having designed and delivered Side Hustle 101, an online course that's helped over 450 people thrive in the gig and creator economies. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Rick. Excited to be here to uh, chat all things entrepreneurship with you. All right. Fabulous. Sounds like you're the guy to talk to. To begin with, we ask a question because... Uh, Entrepreneurs like our listeners are always pressed for time, so we want to make sure they know this is going to be worth their while. So what do you hope is the key idea or top piece of advice that entrepreneurs can take away from our conversation today? Yeah, for sure. So for folks listening, I think coming out of this conversation with an understanding that entrepreneurship is about creating pathways to many different alternative currencies, I think is a big lesson that I've learned over my last decade or so as an entrepreneur. I think back to my early days starting that education technology company that you referenced, referenced there, Rick, which was called English Never Stops, which every time I tell this story, I realize the irony of that name because the only thing that business did was it eventually stopped quite abruptly. Um, <laughs> but when I was building that business, I was just chasing dollar signs. 
You know, I had this image of entrepreneurship as being, you know, 10x your revenue, get to an exit, you know, looking at, at wealth through a really narrow lens of really just how can I generate the most revenue and make the most income for myself? Um, and that was a pathway to me building the wrong thing, you know, getting burnt out and having to learn some really difficult but important lessons through that early failure. And, you know, my vision of what it means to be wealthy today and the currencies that I'm in pursuit of as an entrepreneur has become much more dynamic. You know, for me now, wealth is about having the freedom and autonomy to like go out in the middle of the day for a walk with my wife and enjoy the time that we have together. Um, it's about having freedom and that autonomy and doing work that aligns to me from a perspective of meaning. And so I think that's the overarching thing that I hope folks and uh, will take away from our conversation is that entrepreneurship can create avenues to abundance in the many alternative currencies that matter to each of us as, as people. Wow, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> we'll make this a four-parter. Um, yeah, that's so right. tell us a little bit more about um, entre entrepreneurship is about creating pathways to alternative currencies. It sounds like you're saying that free time is a currency. Yeah, I guess in my perspective, you know, I take a very holistic look at entrepreneurship that, you know, entrepreneurship and business building isn't something that you do that's separate from your life as a whole. You know, for me, entrepreneurship is really about lifestyle design. And, you know, again, as humans, I think from a pretty young age, we're taught to value specific currencies, you know, in, in our time at school, we're taught to pursue marks as kind of the driving currency of that education system. We leave the world of school, we enter the world of work, and we're really conditioned to chase that next sort of formal currency, right? That uh, the dollar signs and making more money, generating more income. And I think a lot of entrepreneurship training which is the area that I specialize in, you know, is really focused on helping entrepreneurs to achieve abundance in that single currency, right? And, you know, making as much revenue, building a profitable business model, generating income. Don't get me wrong, those things are all very important. Um, but I guess my entire philosophy here is that we are dynamic human beings who value multiple things within our lives. And oftentimes I've seen entrepreneurs just obsess over chasing revenue. And while you may create abundance in that currency for yourself, you end up creating a deficit in many of the other things that matter to you. You know, how many entrepreneurs out there have thrown their entire being into their business at the detriment of their family or personal relationships, of their, you know, mental or physical health and well being? And so, again, I think for me, entrepreneurship is about acknowledging that as humans, there are multiple currencies that matter to each of us and that business building can be a wonderful avenue to creating abundance in the multiple currencies that matter to us. A great example of that, you know, I, in a past life, as your intro mentioned, I was an English teacher. Um, I could never have imagined the degree of freedom that I'm living with today. You know, my wife, Laura, and I, who's also my business partner with the Makers Collective, we just came out of our first uh, five-week stint being digital nomads. We up and moved to Portugal for five weeks um, and just ran our business from over there, got out of the winter for a little bit, got to meet new people, experience an entire different culture. But that idea of having freedom of mobility, freedom of time. Like I look at that freedom as a currency. Um, when I speak of alternative currencies, I also mean things like your skill sets, right? Seeing skills as a currency and entrepreneurship is a way to create abundance in terms of being more dynamic with your skills. Um, and so again, I think we're pretty layered as people and there's multiple things that matter to us and entrepreneurship from my experience can help to create, you know, an abundance of the many currencies that, that matter to us as people. 
That is really cool. I, you, you, you answered my question really well. Yeah, you know, the, the field of English is obviously missing you, <laughs> though you may not be missing it. Tell me a little bit about this journey. What, what attracted you to English? And then how did that go during the short period that you were a practitioner? Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, my I come from a family of teachers. Um, my mom was a professor at the University of Waterloo. Both of her parents were profs uh, at Queen's. And so I'd always been around the world of education. Um, during my own time as a student, the honest truth is I was always a pretty lazy <laughs> student. It was just kind of playing the game of education. You know, what topics come easy to me where I can you know, put forth the least amount of effort to get the most marks to get to the next kind of benchmark. And I wish there was a more like romantic story about how I landed at English teaching. But honestly, the truth is it was the subject I excelled at in undergrad, um, thought it would be the easiest pathway for me to uh, to find some work. And so I jumped into teacher's college, um, jumped into the world of, of teaching, you know, doing the uh, supply teaching gigs, teaching English, teaching a bit of ESL. It was a love-hate relationship with that experience is how I describe it. You know, I loved helping people learn. I love working with students. I found, you know, the challenge or the puzzle of having to take this individual, figure out their learning style and create a pathway for them to build skills. I thought that that was a you know, really fascinating and also very worthwhile way to be spending my time. But I was a fish out of water in that nine to five workplace. Again, just being very honest with you, I was never a great employee. You know, I struggled <laughs> to be the best version of myself when I was working on someone else's time at someone else's schedule. Um, and so, yeah, just over a decade ago, I kind of jumped out of the traditional classroom and have been, you know, trying to find my foot, my pathway forwards in the education space, but working outside of that traditional system and coming at it more through the lens of, of entrepreneurship. And then that first business was in the um, ESL space, specifically teaching English as a second language, because like a lot of entrepreneurs, I was working in an industry, I was teaching ESL, it was my last teaching gig. And I just thought that there were some things in that industry that were dated and could be improved, that there was the opportunity to really inject technology into English language learning. And I was also young enough and egotistical enough that I thought I could jump out and make it happen on my own fairly easily, which, uh, again, if anything, my first couple of years as an entrepreneur were um, very humbling, you know, just recognizing the, the the challenges, the ups and downs, the intricacies and the luck that also go into to building a business. Um, and so I spent about two and a half years trying to build that that education technology company, um, you know, learned a lot, ultimately failed at that business, um, which, you know, at the time seemed like an insurmountable failure. Um, but in hindsight, it's the most intense period of growth and learning that I've probably ever had as a, as a person. Um, and I think very much, you know, the entrepreneur I am today was shaped by those first couple of years of kind of falling flat on my face and, and you know, having the support around me, thankfully, to help me get back up and, and learn from that and then, and then move forwards. It's a wonderful story. Uh, entrepreneurship is all about failing before you succeed. And uh, it's wonderful hear to hear you describe that experience like that. It felt insurmountable, it probably felt like the world was closing in on you. But what it was really done, what, what it was really doing was just redirecting you and pointing you in new directions, which, which is beautiful. Um, I don't know much about English as a second language training, but my experience or my understanding of it, my feel for it is that it's sort of a commodity that uh, sort of anyone can can get into that business. Um, it's fairly low margin. And as you say, you know, no technology. So what was it that you thought you could do in that space? And why did it spank you like that? Yeah, good question. So this was like to date myself, this was back in like, 2011, 2012, um, when the idea of, you know, connecting over like a video call and like teaching online in that way was still very novel, right? Like this is pre-Zoom, pre-Microsoft Teams, like we're talking about Skype being the number one sort of video chatting software at that time. And so I had this vision of creating a social network 
that was specifically tailored to language learners, where you would make a profile, you would join groups based on your interest, but then all of the activities and the behaviors within that platform would be aimed at language acquisition. So writing activities, practicing your speaking, joining conversation groups, things of, of that nature. Um, and so that was the overall vision. But again, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, especially first time entrepreneurs, I got really emotionally connected to that first vision of this digital world mm -hmm. I wanted to create. In hindsight, I was getting signals basically right out the gate that while I wanted to build that, that's not really what my customers wanted. You know, I had this vision of a peer to peer English language learning environment where, you know, in hindsight, the customers really were telling me that they wanted support from an expert, that there had to be a native English speaker there, giving them corrections and supporting them. And I think my own ego kind of got in the way. And I think that's a really good learning for a lot of early stage entrepreneurs. Is, Absolutely. You know, we can't get too emotionally connected to the first idea that we have. You know, instead, it's about falling in love with the problems that you're solving and the people that you're serving and then spending time listening and having them help you to understand the right product you should be bringing to market. It's funny, these things seem so common sense to me now, but you know, back then when I was getting this business started, I had customers like waving flags in my face, basically saying, <laughs> you're missing it. This is not what we need. And again, a combination of ego and experience just caused me to try to push through that. And, you know, again, became a cautionary tale of if you don't listen to your customers, you end up launching software or hardware or products or services that the world doesn't really need. Um, and eventually that's going to run its course and you'll have to move on to the next thing. So I think it was a lot of ego, if I could summarize it, that uh, stopped me from, from moving in the right direction. And then I think also I, you know, in that first business, I really thought that being an entrepreneur meant having to like embrace this grinded out mindset that, hey, if I was the first one there in the morning and the last one to leave and I worked more hours a day than everyone else, more days in the week, that over time that was going to compound to put me ahead of other people in the English teaching space and, you know, other entrepreneurs more broadly. And I really acutely learned that that's not the case, that like we are only human, burning out is a very real thing. And ultimately that is what forced me to shut that business down was just, I, I was in a spot where I was burnt out. I was struggling with my own, you know, mental health, my own physical uh, well-being. You know, luckily I had a really supportive group of friends and a great family around me at that time. Um, but I think like a lot of early stage entrepreneurs, I thought that like, I only have one speed and it's a sprint. And if I'm not sprinting all the time, I'm never going to make it. You know, when the reality is like, you've got to operate more, you know, as like a, a, you know, to use the running analogy, it's more like interval training where you got to sprint in moments, but those sprints have to be broken up by periods of like slowing down and having a bit of an off season and catching your breath and, you know, the, the longevity that we're all looking for as entrepreneurs really comes by finding that balance. And that was definitely nowhere to be seen for me when I was when I was getting started. Right. Well, it's so interesting because, I mean, if you came out of a typical Ontario arts program in university and possibly even more so if your family were professors, um, you know, there was no one really to train you in entrepreneurial thinking, which is about, um, you know, coming up with a thesis, sure, but testing it, not running it down the field and taking it <laughs> uh, out, out the door. Um, you know, getting those iterations out with, with the rapid cycling of iterations, getting all the feedback you can and approaching it, ironically, as a student, as opposed to, a fixed business plan, uh, an entrepreneur with a fixed business plan. So you yourself were a perfect prospect for the business you're doing now. 100%. And I think that uh, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, again, as I'm now teaching Side Hustle 101 and helping, you know, course creators through the other work that I do with Lane 2, 
what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to help myself five years ago. Right. That's kind of my lens <laughs> now is like, OK, back when I was spinning my tires, trying to figure out how to get a product or service to market, what type of training would have been really helpful for me? And, you know, on the side hustle side specifically, that's why we inject like very intentional mindset training into right. that course. And, you know, we really explicitly acknowledge like the the mental health journey of the entrepreneur and, you know, wanting to create safe space to have some of those conversations. Because again, I felt really acutely in the early stages of my journey, the pains that go along with, you know, just being sort of singular in your focus and singular in your pace and really ignoring all of those other things in your life. Again, that's going to catch up to you eventually. So yeah, we're certainly trying to inject a lot of the learnings that you know, I've had, you know, my business partners, uh, Lacey and Laura have had to, to support this, you know, new generation of, of entrepreneurs that are that are coming up right now. Right. So tell us about meeting Lacey and Laura and where the, 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 the whole Makers Collective came from. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that story might turn this from a four part into a five part series. <laughs> here, Rick. I'll be pretty quick. But the uh, so we're, we're all based in Kitchener, Ontario. It is a pretty tight knit community of entrepreneurs here. It's a fairly small. But Kitchener is the twin city of Waterloo, which is like ground zero for incredible tech entrepreneurs in Canada. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So Kitchener Waterloo, you know, it is a thriving technology hub. I mean, that's largely why the first business I started was the education technology company, because I looked around and that's where all the resource, resources were in KW. That's what everybody was doing. That's actually a beautiful segue because it's in that ecosystem that I met Lacey. So I was just winding down my first business. Um, she was working as a marketing lead for a technology startup. We were both working out of Communitech and the Accelerator Center, so two of the more prominent innovation centers in town. Um, but we both were kind of fish out of water in that tech ecosystem. We really more identified as, you know, creative people and creative entrepreneurs. And so we just- I mean, kind of, neither of you knew how to code. Is that what that means? Neither of us knew how to code. That's for sure. I mean, I'm the English grad. She's the communications grad. We had bolted yeah. onto that technology ecosystem, again, because there was an abundance of resources. And really that's well, when I thought entrepreneurship, at that time, the only thing I really thought of was the tech startup scene here in town, just you know, by virtue of us being in such close proximity to that. Um, so yeah, we met through that ecosystem, um, really just kind of hit it off because we were coming into that tech environment from a more creative kind of place. Um, and we both ended up just by happenstance um, needing a place to live at the same time. And so Lacey and I actually started as roommates back in like 2017. Um, and that's when she started to have this idea for Makers Collective. And I was just kind of helping her behind the scenes with that. Again, not to digress too much, but through our time as roommates, we end up at a uh, trivia night at a local pub one night, bump into Laura, who became my wife, you know, two years after that. We met at uh, Trivia Night out at the pub all together <laughs> and became friends. That's a story to tell the kids. I introduced Lacey to Laura. They become fast friends. Lacey brings Laura in as her co-host of what was the Makers Collective podcast. So that's really how our business took shape. Um, I continue to support them sort of as an, at an arm's length, kind of as a fan. But then as we progressed into 2018, 2019, you know, they were releasing a podcast. They were having, you know, maybe a thousand downloads a month, started to get some really good feedback. We started surveying the audience or they did rather. Um, and the number one thing that kept coming back from them around, you know, how else can we be supporting you outside of, you know, this podcast and community was the need for training. You know, a lot of the listeners were creative entrepreneurs or creatives who were aspiring to be entrepreneurs. They had a great skill set, you know, something that they could make, but they lacked the business skills and training to really identify the right business model to wrap around that creative skill. And they struggled with some of the mindset, you know, challenges that you and I have spoken of earlier. Um, and so it was at that point, this was now late 2019, that I formally jumped into the Makers Collective as a partner, leading our education uh, efforts. 
And by June 2020, we launched our first cohort of Side Hustle 101, um, which again is aimed to help any you know early stage or aspiring creator, maker, artist, entrepreneur who's wanting to get that first side business off the ground. We take you from idea to launch. Um, we started that with a group of 20 folks in June 2020, um, and we're in and around 500 side hustles that we've launched uh, over the course of the last, gosh, two and a half, almost three years now. So it's been uh, quite a, an exciting couple of years for us, really finding a home in that space with, with side hustling. Right. And was, was Makers Collective always about sort of remote learning? Or, I mean, because you ran into COVID pretty quick. We I ran mean, into it. Always going to be that? I mean, that is not where we started. So, I mean, this is probably a pretty relatable story to anybody who at early 2020, you know, created a strategic plan for the year, <laughs> right? We had big dreams, Rick. Our goal early 2020 was to take the podcast on the road and start doing live podcasts across Canada and then pairing that with in-person workshops. That was really, you know, our bread and butter. We'd been doing lots of in-person education. I had been dabbling with some online education for, for many years, but really we had been, you know, our space was get us in a room, we'll bring a lot of energy and we'll deliver a great learning experience in person. So that was the plan in January 2020. We had a roadmap for the year, places we wanted to go, partnerships we were building, and then like a lot of small businesses, that, that plan was burned to the ground by March and we had to pivot entirely into the online space. Um, and so, you know, in March, we made that choice. We pivoted fully online. Um, but again, I think this is one of the things I've come to learn, right, is building the ability to adapt like that, to, you know, take in data from the market extract meaning from that data, use it to pull out some insights and then make data driven decisions about a new direction. You know, if we can learn to do that really effectively, that becomes a competitive advantage because right. most folks, it's just human nature. I mean, big change like that happens. You know, we freeze. It's like paralyzing. At the very most, sometimes we just try to bounce back to where we were before versus using that change as an opportunity to come out the other side of it better than you would have been otherwise. And, you know, I don't think we would have seen the, the growth and the traction with the program had we not brought it online, because now all of a sudden, obviously, you know, geographical boundaries aren't as important. You're connecting with customers from all over the place. It allowed us to, um, you know, really grow in ways that I don't think would have been feasible had we you know, stayed on that track of, of doing things in person. Um, not to digress on that too much. It's a really interesting concept called anti-fragility. Um, Anti-Fragile is a book by Nassim Taleb. He's the uh, president of Northwestern University, I think. Um, and for him, anti-fragile is kind of the opposite of fragile. So you think of a traditional spectrum, you know, it's you're either fragile or you're resilient, right? Change happens. If you're fragile, you break. If you're resilient, you withstand that change and then you return to your previous state. You sort of bounce back. He positions anti-fragility as this new spot on that spectrum where when change happens, we actually use that change to improve and to get better than we were prior to that change happening. And I think that's something that side hustling and learning to intake data pivot an idea, bring a new idea to life quickly, if we can learn how to do that, you know, then we put ourselves in a position to really thrive in this time of change that, you know, while we may be coming out the other side of this pandemic, we're going to continue to live in a time of change, you know, with emerging technology, changing political headwinds, change is the name of the game now. And so I think those skill sets that we built in practice by responding to the pandemic ourselves are now things we're teaching in the course to support other people and, you know, finding ways to thrive when change is inevitably going to happen. Right. In the, the education business, there's always this tension between companies that are just trying to sell you all the stuff they can and companies that are actually trying to create value. They're not trying to sell you the same thing over again. They're trying to, 
create new, more sophisticated or customized solutions uh, as a, because it never gets any easier. There are always new problems. Bigger organizations have bigger problems. Uh, so, so do you think you're on the way to cracking that code and actually creating stuff, not for the sake of creating it and selling more, but actually solving uh, the evolving issues that your clients run into? Yeah, absolutely. I think in our early days, we fell into exactly what you're talking about there of just trying to build too many things to get more offers out the door, to cast like the widest net possible to attract as many entrepreneurs as possible. Two things happened for us when we did that. You know, one is we spread ourselves too thin and ended up putting out, you know, initially um, too many offers where the value that was being delivered was very much diluted. Um, and in doing that, we spread ourselves too thin and we got really burnt out as a team. You know, we're a small business. We have three people working on this in a relatively, you know, full-time capacity. And then we have adjacent, you know, freelancers and contract workers who jump in with really niche skills to support. And so we had this discussion about partway through year one of COVID around, we need to narrow our focus. We need to do less. And we need to do the things that we're doing to a world-class level where we are really solving problems and really focused on delivering value, building great relationships with customers. Um, and if we focus on that, the rest will kind of take care of itself. And so that's really what we've done since, you know, sort of mid to late 2020 is really narrow our focus where now all we're doing is we offer Side Hustle 101. We focus on the niche early challenges that are part of the side hustle journey. And then we run our creative sessions, which are part of our uh, level up community, sort of our membership community. Um, we run that as our ongoing way to support our alumni and to bring in some new folks. But we really just focus on those two things um, so that we can really master our ability to support, you know, the niche early stage side hustler um, along their journey and make sure that we are over delivering value with with every touch point that they have with us has really become the focus over the last couple of years. What you say totally resonates with me and I can see it in the engineering here. There's not a, a lot of product for sale, but it but it does seem really well engineered and that it fits together like, you know, gears. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's really been a decade of learning for me, like all of the iterating and adapting and listening to customers to really meet their needs that I wish I had done with my first business, right, with English Never Stops. We are like really using that playbook here where, you know, the folks who took Side Hustle 101 in June of 2020, the course we're running today is very much different from that, right? The delivery structure is different. The things we're emphasizing as teaching points are different. The types of examples we're layering in are more dynamic because we have really spent time listening. And again, I think for, for anybody listening who's running a, a business, you know, there isn't a romantic secret to success. I think the biggest thing about finding the way to deliver value, which is ultimately how you're going to find a way to win, is to listen, you know, to listen to your audience, to listen to the people you want to serve, because they will tell you what they're wanting. They will tell you what's missing. They'll tell you what's working. They'll tell you what's keeping them up at night. It's about putting yourself in a position to listen and then to be humble enough to use that data to totally change direction, even if it's telling you to go on a pathway, you know, that you weren't necessarily on at the start of your venture. And you know, I appreciate you acknowledging that, Rick, because that's, you know, a couple of years of, of real hard work and us sort of practicing what we preach. That's got us to this, you know, quite simplified and distilled set of educational experiences that we're offering that, you know, we're really proud of the, the value that they're that they're creating for folks out there right now. And what are people telling you that they're missing right now? Oof. Yeah, I love that. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it's tough times right now january february march 2023 as we're recording this i had a coaching call just maybe two hours before we jumped on to record this rick and uh one of our students said to me 
you know, I just need more people to click the button and buy the things. <laughs> and I thought that was like a beautifully simplified way of like, I think right now selling is everybody's challenge, you know, with this looming recession that we're in, with the climate of economic uncertainty that we currently find ourselves in. Closing deals and making sales is is really challenging. Um, it's a good example of, of us being agile. We are now starting to do a free session every month called How to Sell Your Art. Um, we're specifically getting that feedback from a lot of our artists and our creative entrepreneurs that sales are just tough to come by right now. Um, and so we are introducing that free webinar to, to combat that. Um, and then I would say the other thing that is missing for a lot of folks is accountability structure and mechanisms, especially when you're just getting started with a venture. Oftentimes that's, you know, a project as a solopreneur that we would say, right? You're running that business on your own. Maybe you've got a business partner or two, um, but there is no system in place for you. There's no playbook to follow that says, hey, by week two, you should have focused on these things. And then by week four, you should have moved the needle to, to this to this spot. Um, and so that's another area that, that folks really look to us for in terms of support is, you know, layering in accountability structures to the learning experiences that we provide. And again, that's really going back to the roots of Makers Collective, which started as a community. Mm -hmm. that, you know, creative entrepreneurship, solo entrepreneurship, it can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. You know, there are hundreds, there are thousands of people across Canada who are trying to walk this walk right now. And so for us, we continue to see opportunities to deliver value by layering in the community elements and, you know, weaving in some accountability structures to help folks stay on on task as they're, you know, working towards these goals they have. Can you give me an example of how you're baking accountability into these programs? How do you make yeah, the person make the phone calls? <laughs> do yes, totally. So a lot of this I'll acknowledge is I've built this first for myself because I struggled with we keeping accountable. You know, in my, like in my high school days, my teachers would have said I had ADHD. You know, I was just all over the place all the time, scattered, right? That's kind of my default setting, you know, left to my own devices. I say yes to everything. I fill my plate with too many things. And then I make mediocre progress on stuff that I've overcommitted to rather than picking a few lanes and really excelling within those projects. So I have found to solve that problem for myself, I've built a series of rituals. I think at the crux of it, accountability and staying on task is about habit formation. Right. It's about consistency over time. And so what I've built is a weekly planning ritual where every week I do this on Sunday. I sit down with my trusted notebook. I look at all the projects I'm working on for that week. I identify my top priority for each project. I go block time in my calendar to work on that priority. And then I regroup the following week to check in on that progress and reset for the next week. I built that system for myself out of necessity. And now we offer that exact program within our course. So when people take Side Hustle 101, it's a five week uh, live learning experience. Plus they get an extra 30 days to engage with me beyond the course. So it's nine weeks total. Every week during those nine weeks, we connect once a week for these planning sessions to have this accountability structure start to become a habit. And then every week students can book a 15 or 30 minute office hour coaching session with me, which again, adds another layer of accountability, right? Okay, I told Jeff I was gonna have A, B and C done by next Thursday. I've gotta make sure I move the needle on those so I've got something to share during that, that coaching call. We do that across the nine weeks. And then for students who want to continue on with that type of support, they just join our membership community, the Level Up, where they continue to access planning sessions every week, coaching sessions weekly or biweekly, and then they get free access to those creative sessions that we spoke about earlier. So it's really teaching that system of rituals, but then also inviting students to join me live as I do that ritual. And I think 
that really adds an element of authenticity to the work that we do. Like every single thing that we're teaching in the course are things that, you know, either I've had to build for myself to combat my own like human nature of being scattered or things that Lacey's built for herself from a mindset perspective. You know, Laura, my wife, she brings a lot of the back end systems into the business, the accounting um, support, the operational support. So, you know, anything like that, we're, we're teaching because we're coming at it from a place of experience, having really seen how valuable, you know, in this instance, those planning rituals can be. Yep. Uh, that, that, that's really exciting because I, I totally think that a, accountability is a missing agreement, a, a ingredient for a lot of entrepreneurs. There's no one whom they have to answer to. So just knowing that I'm going to talk to Jeff on Thursday and he's going to ask me if I finished that project or made that call, um, that can be incredibly powerful. Totally. I mean, so many of our students, right, and, and probably for the listeners here as well, when you've got a business idea, it's just been ideas bouncing around in your head for weeks, months, sometimes years. Um, and there's just something so powerful about sharing them out loud with someone, yeah. you know, and having a coaching in session and saying, hey, this is the business I want to build. And to get me there in the next two weeks, I'm going to do A and B, like just verbalizing that and speaking it out you know, to someone starts the process of creating a bit of accountability, lights a bit of a fire. And then as I always say to our students, you know, it's about consistency over time. I think this is another thing people struggle with is we just live in a time when we want things now, you know, I want to be able to like intensely invest in this business and like make it happen immediately. Um, and, you know, from my experience, it's much more a process of I need to take incremental consistent steps over time which is why the accountability becomes so important and that's how you get to that transformation right it's that compound growth over time that's going to get you to that moment where some exponential growth starts to happen very cool let me just uh, ask you a question about your other project which is lean to learning where you build courses for other organizations sort of a B2B arm, I guess, of what you're doing. Just tell me about where that came from and, and, and where it's heading. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, Lane 2 Learning, as you mentioned, is the other part of my portfolio. Um, two projects that we have in Lane 2, and it really stems from, you know, my niche area of expertise is <clears throat> getting new courses to market quickly. Um, you know, I have stumbled as an entrepreneur a number of times and have built real expertise in new venture creation, which is what we help with Makers Collective, right? It's sort of any side hustle. Um, but my like real niche area of expertise is applying that entrepreneurial mindset within the unique context of bringing new courses or new educational offers to market. And so we do that in two capacities. One, we get hired by large organizations who want to introduce their own educational offerings. Um, we've had really great experience over the last two years working with Canon Canada, um, who many of you know, yeah, many of you will know as the hardware giant, right? They sell your cameras and your printers. Um, but Canon saw a really unique opportunity to layer in education, right? So that we can actually at, so when someone purchases an entry-level camera, they can also take a course called Photo Foundations and learn how to use, you know, the manual settings on their camera. Um, someone who's maybe been an aspiring videographer, um, but has only ever used their camera for photography, you know, can now jump in and take an intro to video production course. And so we bring that unique expertise of we can build courses and we can use that entrepreneurial approach to pivot and iterate and to get there quickly. Um, and we're seeing an increasing demand for that from large companies who are looking for ways to differentiate from competitors, who are also looking to deepen relationships with customers and add value. Um, and so for us, we basically bolt on as a curriculum development partner where we plug in, we work with your subject matter experts to design curriculum, to build the course and to get it to market. Um, in the Canon example, we've launched 
uh, 10 courses in the last 24 months with Canon Canada. We're currently working on our 11th course, which is a really exciting on-demand course. Um, I'm not allowed to say too much about it because it's going to be released later this spring, but it's going to be paired with a new camera that they're introducing that's specific to video. Um, and really exciting there because I think we see a lot of, you know, the Gen Z creator economy, you know, kind of wave happening where so many young people are striving to become content creators, not only as a hobby, but as a job, you know, we're going to create a really great course for those young creators who can, you know, learn from some of Canada's top creators about the ins and outs of getting started with video. Um, And so that project has really been, you know, fulfilling. It's been really validating. We're now starting to work with other companies in that capacity, helping them to launch courses. Um, And we're also now teaching individual subject matter experts, influencers, entrepreneurs, any individual who wants to launch their own course to build a new line of revenue. Um, We're now running a course that's essentially training folks how to take their expertise and and turn it into a course. Because I think a lot of people out there are sitting with a five or six figure income of expertise just between their ears um, and with some confidence and with some you know, um, systematic approaches, we can take that expertise and turn it into a course. And there's lots of opportunities for individuals to, to jump into this space of course creation as well. Do you foresee a point at which you might have to choose between teaching entrepreneurs or creating courses for third parties? Yeah, it's a very good question. You know, I think I'm at my best when my plate is the right level of full. So for the time being, um, it's been really helpful with Makers Collective over the last couple of years to narrow our focus to, you know, really just running Side Hustle 101 and these two adjacent uh, projects. I don't foresee myself giving that up. I really love that work. On the lane two side, what we are planning to do is to do a bit of hiring there. So, you know, we basically run this project with Canon for about two years. We've got a handful of other clients that we're now working with. We've built some really good systems where I'll likely start elevating out of the day-to-day work within that business. And we'll focus more on the sales side and, you know, we'll hire curriculum developers Mm -hmm. to build the curriculums and account manager to sort of manage those projects. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm a big advocate for this idea of building a portfolio of work and having multiple lines of income, multiple different lines of income. Um, and so I would say for at least the next three to five years, I would see myself continuing to, to play a part in, in the growth of both of these companies. Okay. That's a pretty good answer there. Yeah. Can you give me an example of sort of an individual who has learn from you a course on how to sell the stuff they know how to do? Absolutely. Yeah. So we ran our pilot with that course. It's called the Course Creator Operating System. Um, We ran a pilot of it in the latter half of 2022. It's a pretty small course. So we have seven spots available per cohort um, because it's a pretty intensive coaching program. Like I do a lot of one-on-one coaching in that program. And so one of our awesome alumni, her name's Jasmine Shaw. She's based out of the Ottawa region. Um, she has an engineering background and has really had a pretty quick climb up the corporate ladder in a technology company as uh, an engineer. Um, and she's also seen very acutely that she is in a very male-dominated industry. She's one of the only women who's working with the organization organization that she's currently uh, employed by. And so she saw a real opportunity and a real need for career coaching, specifically for women graduating from engineering programs, looking at finding pathways and navigating the career path and the career ladder as a woman in the engineering field. And so Jasmine took her own experience, kind of like me with Side Hustle 101, right? She's sort of helping versions of herself four or five years previous. Um, We worked with Jasmine to identify who her ideal target customer was. We worked with her to distill her expertise down into learning outcomes and modules and a course delivery structure. 
We also worked with her to overcome some of the mindset blockers, you know, that jump in the way of, you know, who am I to teach a course and to help others, <laughs> right. right? Some of that imposter syndrome pops up along the way. Um, and Jasmine's now run two versions of her course. Um, she had five uh, women take her first version who were recent graduates. Um, and then for her second version of the course, she actually worked with the provincial government in Ontario, and she got a $2,500 grant to subsidize seats in the course for some of the women taking her program. And so that was a big milestone for her, being able to um, get some of those seats subsidized, really prove the value of it by yeah, aligning a hell one, of endorsement. The yeah. one of the provincial ministries. And it also allowed her to really live one of the core principles that I practice when it comes to building a course. And that's this idea of treating a course as an asset that you develop and then looking at turning on multiple lines of revenue from that single asset. You know, I think so often folks build courses and they think, OK, I got to sell this to my learner. Right. And that seat sales is the primary revenue driver. And it might be. Don't get me wrong. But gosh, one of my favorite things about course creation and entrepreneurship more broadly now is how dynamic you can become from a revenue generating perspective. You know, the idea of selling courses directly to individuals, but then getting a grant to subsidize it or having a company sponsor seats in the course for some of their early staff members, you know, licensing your course to someone else to be able to deliver it. Uh, it's really a principle we teach in the course, and it was really validating for me to see Jasmine take those ideas and actually bring them to life such that by her second delivery, she actually had two different lines of revenue <laughs> being driven from the same course. That was really, really rewarding and validating for me to see you know, someone else be able to practice that and, and realize the, the returns from a revenue perspective from, from adopting that strategy. Well, I'm sorry that you're not helping people learn to speak and write English better, but it sounds like you found your niche uh, doing some really important work. So congratulations on that. Final question, Jeff, as we always ask here at the Startup Canada podcast, any final words of wisdom or advice based on all the stuff you know about entrepreneurs that you want to share with our listeners today? Totally. Yeah, I think for me, you know, we live in the age of individual empowerment is really how I look at the world that, you know, there have never been more opportunities for us as individuals to build the businesses that we want to design the lives that we want. And so I think my final message would be this, you know, if you're listening to this, it's likely because there's an idea you have in your mind for an idea you want to bring to life, a business you want to build, a way that you want your life to, to look. And I'm a firm believer that that vision that you have, it exists, right? You just have to be daring enough to go out there and, and make it happen and plugging into the right community, getting the right support so that when you fall down, you've got some help to get back up. That's such an important ingredient. But I really believe that anybody listening to this has the power to build the business they want and the life they want. And it starts with just being daring enough to start taking those steps to making that that happen. So um, just some final words for me there is like, go out there and get that thing that you want because it, it exists. You just got to go out there and make it happen. Beautiful. You know, when I was in high school, my English teachers made us read Fahrenheit 451 and 1984 and works of the Brave New World, all that genre, which was all about the subjugation of individuality and humanity. Um, I'm not sure that the, you know, the fight is entirely won, but I, I agree with you that, that we live in an age of, of individual empowerment and it's up to all of us to seize all the opportunities that are available from that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And you may not learn it in high school, but fortunately, entrepreneurs are here to show the way. Jeff Mitchell is a co-owner at the Makers Collective in Kitchener, Ontario. And you can uh, check out the sessions that they offer at makerscolearning.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. 
Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence. <laughs>